0: All right, so please go ahead and turn your Bibles or your uh, Bible app, however you want to do it. I got a phone. If you have the paper, that's cool as well. To Matthew 619. Matthew 619. We'll go ahead and and get started here. Set the tone. Just say amen when you get there. You got there quickly. All right. So Matthew chapter six. Verse 19, it says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I know that's not a, uh, a verse that is unknown to those who, who are in the word, but it's always a good reminder about what God is saying about the treasures that we so have, um, I guess, uh, connection to here in this earthly realm versus the treasures he wants us to have in heaven. Okay, So I, I'm a movie buff, I love movies, my wife and I both love movies. And one of the genres of movies that we truly enjoy are the, the, hunt, the hunt movies, the, the movies that, you, that they're hunting for treasure. Um, National Treasure comes to mind, um, Indiana Jones, love those kind of movies. Um, something that my brother and I actually grew up on was Goonies. Has everybody seen Goonies? Got some hands raised, Goonies. Goonies was that thing growing up, man. Like, we love Goonies. And for those who don't know, Goonies was about misfit teens that, uh, or preteens that found a treasure map in their attic of, of, one, of the guys house, one of the kids' houses. And they were just, oh, my God, we have to find this treasure. We have to go out and, and whatever it takes, we have to locate this treasure. So they went out. Unsupervised, unprompted, he said they're gonna find this treasure. And the name of the guy thing was One-eyed Willie, or or something like that. That's not really important. But the important thing is they went out there and actually sought this treasure. Now, through it all, they encountered a whole bunch of obstacles, uh, town scandal, uh, corpses, unfortunately, booby traps, the whole nine. They even came across a crazed creature man that was chained up, named Sloth, who is one of my favorite characters that actually ended up helping them in the end. Now through it all, the treasure was what they were looking for, right? Like that's what they were ready to go and and do and and get and and they were focused on that treasure. But the treasure wasn't really what they really got. Even when they got to the treasure, that was minuscule compared to what they actually discovered within themselves. What they really got was self-discovery, courage, bravery, Through it all, the treasure was the backdrop, but we were thinking the treasure was the whole focal point. Right? So we have to make sure that we understand that just because you're looking for something doesn't mean that's what you're gonna actually get. It's usually the journey that's gonna mean a whole lot more than what you actually discover. Now, they actually did find some treasure, boatloads of it. I'm talking rubies, goblets, coins, whole bunch of gold, emeralds, the whole nine. The treasure was real. The myth was real. They found the treasure, and they weren't able to take most of it with them. So what was it all for, right? They did able to get a a few diamonds or whatever, but they didn't get the whole treasure. They got what they needed, though, because their house actually was going to be foreclosed and some other things were, were happening. But they did all of that to get what they needed, not necessarily to get what they wanted. All right. So so I start thinking about this and I was like, man, that's pretty cool. You know, so they went and got the treasure, but they got more out of the adventure of seeking the treasure versus the treasure itself. OK, so as a man and as men, we're designed to conquer. Does everybody know that, that we're designed to actually go and, and seek out things and, and, and conquer things and, and, and overcome adversity to get what we want to get what is desirable to us now the issue with that if you're not with god doing that now you're in the world conquering worldly things versus conquering the things of god so you're you're perverting your purpose when you're conquering things of the world instead of conquering things of god now women you guys are designed to be adorned you guys are designed to get your jewelry and And your your necklaces and your earrings and to look all beautiful and and all stunning. And and you're you're designed to draw us into you. It says when a man finds a good, finds a wife, he finds a good thing. So you guys are the treasure that we are seeking as a man when you are looking for a bride. Amen. Now, that got me thinking like, okay, so man here to conquer. Women are here to be adorned by men to be the treasure. So how do we get this thing from us trying to find the treasure in a godly way so we don't get sidetracked and we're looking for it all in the wrong places? Okay. So I start thinking through this, there's been countless wars, right? Countless wars, battles, bloodshed, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to searching for treasure or, or land or wealth or currency, whatever you want to call it, a lot of bloodshed and that's physical treasure, right? what about spiritual treasure? What about what Matthew 6 is saying about storing treasure in heavenly places? So what does that actually mean? So I started thinking through what that actually looks like, and uh, it, it, it dawned on me that it says in 619, where thieves break in and steal, okay? So don't store it where thieves can break in and steal. Again, I'm thinking physically, physically steal, But isn't the enemy sent to steal, kill, and destroy? So if the enemy is sent to kill, steal, and destroy, he's looking to steal your purpose for the kingdom. He's not necessarily looking just to take your money or your quote-unquote treasure from you. He's looking to distract you so all your focus is on the things that you treasure more than God instead of God's purpose for your life. So that's what we have to be careful of. Speaking for myself, I know I was focused on the wrong things for so long that I got so distracted and and so caught up in in trying to obtain success and obtain it in a way that was outside of God that the treasure that God had for me and ready for me slipped right through my hands many times, right? So we got to make sure that we're not doing those things and we're making sure that we're focused on the treasure that we're storing up in heaven, not the treasure that's necessarily in front of us. If you don't guard your heart, the enemy comes and steals, breaks in and steals, breaks in and destroys the spiritual treasure, which is your purpose in the kingdom. All right, so <laughs> Carter, our son, he's a thinker. Like, he's, he's like his mom, really. Like, she's, she's a thinker. He actually has this uh, comic book idea. I don't know if I want to put it out there. I won't because I don't want someone to take it, whatever. But he calls her pink thinker, right, because she, she thinks a lot, just like him. So I was talking to him one night, and he said, Daddy, what, what do you do, like, for your job? Like, what do you do for a living? I'm like, so you know what I do. I'm a, I'm a sales uh, leader. He said, no, but I like, asked, like, what are the duties of your job? I said, oh, you want to get detailed. Okay, it's one of those. I thought I was going to be one of them, you know, get him into bed, love you, son, say your blessings, and we out. He said, "Now nah, we're going to talk tonight. I got a couple of questions. I said I may, I may have a few answers. So he starts asking me. So what do you do for a living? I said, okay, well, um, you know, I, I look at numbers. I coach people, um, and I found myself getting passionate, you know, about what I was doing. And he's looking like, that sounds boring. I'm like, well, it ain't for you, brother. You asked me the question. You asked me the question. So uh, he he, he kind of goes on and says well, so what else do you do? And I start thinking, I'm like, well, I gave you like 10 different things that I do. Like I coach professional salespeople. I coach leaders for them to coach their people better and develop people so they can actually uh, provide for their family and excel in their professional career. I thought it was an amazing answer for them, but apparently it wasn't good enough. So I started saying, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a passion of mine, right? I love doing it. I get excited when I talk about it. He said, well, I mean, you get paid pretty well, don't you, Dad? I said, yeah, we, we make out pretty OK. He said, well, who, who gets paid the most? Like, what, what job pays more than any job out there? So I'm thinking like, you know, CEOs, execs, and owners of these conglomerate companies and things like that. He said, no, no, not the boss, but like, what kind of job can I get to work for somebody else and get paid a whole lot of money? So I started thinking about like entertainers and athletes and things of that nature. What I, what I realized, what he was doing, He was connecting profession uh, and bypassing passion to treasure or to currency or to payment, right? So I I told him, I said, well, son, if you just think about what you want to become and it's all about the dollar amount, you'll never be happy. You'll never be satisfied in whatever you choose to do because you're, you're young, you're sharp, you're smart, you're brilliant. You can become whatever you want to become, but it has to be a passion connected to it. And if your passion is not connected to it, it's not going to last long. It's going to be empty treasure, and you're going to be miserable. And he was like, okay, how much Patrick Mahomes make? I'm like, "He still is trying to figure out how much these people make. So long story short, it got me thinking about this scripture. So if you don't mind to turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 36 through 37. Nobody say turn or click, however you want to do it. All right. So it says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Those seem like rhetorical questions, right? You get, you get two of them real quick. And it's like, when you start thinking through it, it's like, am I really supposed to answer that question? Nothing's more important than my soul. Like, why would I sell out my soul? But we do it all the time with what we chase instead of what we store. Okay? So I start thinking about this. (laughs) I want to make sure, now I want you guys to actually take this note. This is the first note I want you to take. If you haven't wrote anything down, please write this down real quick. Make sure that you make a faith move and not a face move. First point. Make sure you make a faith move and not a face move. You're probably like, Jamal, what the heck is a face move? Okay, I'm going to tell you. A face move, well, just think about it. A face move is the currency that's probably in some of you guys' pocket or it's in your bank, bank account on your debit card. I don't carry cash as much. I'm a debit kind of guy, swipe and keep going. But a face move are the faces on currency. So you want to make sure your faith is where it needs to be to the provider and not solely on the provision. Your faith has to be in the provider and not necessarily the provision. The provision is a result of your faith. It's a result of what the provider has given you. The provider is God, for those who may be confused by that. That's where you want your faith to be in. That's what you want your mind to be connected to and your heart to be attached to. That's you storing treasures in heaven because now you're not thinking about, oh, I got to hustle. I got to grind. I got to get this money, dog. I got to get this money. If your faith is not connected to your hustle or your grind, you're making a faith move and not a faith move. Make sense? So I start thinking through... Um, how we control our own soul, right? We all have control over our soul. Our soul is our uh, thoughts, it's our choices, it's our preferences, um, parts of our personality. It's where we make the decisions is our soul, right? So we control our soul. Moses was very clear when he broke down what he wanted the children of Israel to actually do when it came to choosing life or death. When, when God, God is so amazing, he gave us the ability to choose. choose. Choice is the most powerful thing that God ever created. And it was him literally saying, it's either you choosing me or you're choosing the other, but I leave it up to you. He doesn't interfere with choice. He could do all things if he wanted to, but he wants us to make the choice to love him, to serve him, and to be loyal and obedient to him. Okay, so let's kind of read over real quick. And I hope you guys don't mind. I'm going to give you some scripture tonight. Like I, sometimes I kind of go up and, and just kind of talk through maybe a few scriptures. But I want to give you uh, some scriptures tonight that you can go back and, and recall, read, and, and uh, study to, sh- to, 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 to take a look at maybe later on. So turn with me to Deuteronomy. Did I say that right? Deuteronomy, Did I put too many syllables in there? Y'all know the D-E-U-T, then, then, you, then the dot, yeah, that one. Chapter 30, verse 19 through 20. I ain't going to try to say it again. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life. He's telling us what to choose, right? That both you and your descendants may live. Choose life so you can live. It seems pretty simple. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. And that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So, He's literally telling us what choice we should make, and if we make the right choice, what the results are from that particular choice. The land is the treasure. The choice is God. So what is treasure to you? What is treasure to you guys? Kind of a rhetorical question, we'll get into it. We're gonna talk about worldly treasure versus spiritual treasure. I think it's very important to show the contrast between the two, all right? So define treasure world versus spiritual worldly treasure is deemed valuable you can take this point down as well worldly treasure is deemed valuable and it can be estimated in the earthly in the earthly realm spiritual treasure is invaluable that means valuable beyond estimation so Earthly treasure can actually be estimated and put a cost or, or, or a price tag on it. It could be measured. Spiritual treasure is beyond estimation. Above and beyond estimation. So let's think about what worldly treasure is. It says it's a quantity, this is the definition of it. It says it's a quantity of precious metals, gems, or other valuable objects such as jewels, gems, gold, silver, money, cash. Spiritual treasure, I think, is best illustrated in the story of the rich ruler. Now, this rich ruler is a guy that Jesus had a conversation with, and the guy was proud. He was proud of who he was, of what he stood for, of, of what he accomplished, of the things that he followed. He was like, oh, I got it. Jesus, what, what do I need to do to be completely right? So, so Christ had a couple questions for him. I want to just read the questions that Christ asked him and this guy's response and how Jesus answered him. Okay, I told him to give you a couple scriptures. This is from Matthew chapter 19, verse 21 through 22. You can turn to it if you choose to. I'm just going to read. Jesus said to him, talking to the rich ruler, if you wish to be complete, some virgins say perfect, go and sell your possessions. And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, when I'm reading that, the first thing that came to my mind was like, okay, he didn't want to go with Jesus because he didn't want to really depart with all the stuff that he had. But then when I look at the second part of that verse, it says, and follow me. I believe, now this is not biblical, it's my opinion, I believe that it was a twofold. I believe because he had great wealth that he amassed, that he didn't want to depart with that, but also his heart wasn't into following Christ. It was a two-part ask. It said, get rid of all your stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I need you to follow me. Now, if the guy would have just said, if Jesus would have just said, hey, keep your stuff and follow me, maybe he would have came, Maybe he wouldn't have, but we'll never know. How do we know that Jesus wasn't testing him? Similar to how God tested Abraham. Maybe it should have been a faith move and not a faith move. What if Jesus, this is all what if, I understand. It's what if. I'm just roll me for a second. What if Christ looked at this guy and said, hey, get rid of all the stuff that you own and follow me. What if the guy said, okay, Jesus could have said, no, 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 I'm just testing you. Keep everything. We're going to use that for the ministry, and you're going to be blessed forevermore. Same way that God tested Abraham, hey, kill your son. Hold on, don't touch a head on that, brother's, on, that, on that brother's head right there. Do not touch him, do not hurt him, do not harm him. Maybe it was a faith move. So how many faith moves are we forfeiting? Because our eyes and our heart is focused on the face move. Don't forfeit your faith move because you're making an hasty face move. Because it's probably just a test of where your heart is. Okay? Does that make sense? Um, Let's let's take a look at Matthew 6.21. Matthew kind of just breaks down a whole bunch of this, man, which I really appreciate. This is also a well-known scripture. Matthew 6.21, it says... Wherever your heart is, there the desires of your, I'm sorry, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. I got an illustration in my mind. I got a picture in my mind. I start thinking about, okay, where my heart is is where my treasure is. Where my heart is is also where my location is when it comes to Christ and my connection to God. When you think about someone that's in a hospital, their heart is also where they are as well, from a health standpoint. You know, they're hooked to all these monitors, they're checking oxygen levels, they're checking blood levels, they're checking all that stuff, but the main thing that will alert someone to come into the the room is what? That heart. They're looking at that heart rate the entire time. That's the location of that person's health. That's the location of how they're doing. Are they declining? Are they improving? Are things getting better? God is the same way. He's looking at our hearts and seeing a boop, boop 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 boop, but some of us is like boop 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 boop, boop, boop. and some of us are like boop. You don't want that one. But you know what? You, know what's, you know, what's, know what's really cool about God? If you are that, it ain't too late. It ain't too late. The same power that resurrected Christ from the grave is the same power that's in me and you right now. So if your heart is not connected to the source, got some good news for you. I got some great news for you. It ain't too late. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. All right, so let's talk about Joshua for a second and God's commission to Joshua. God's commission to Joshua, kind of playing off of what Moses kind of set up for him in the promised land. Moses set the tone, and Joshua was to carry the torch. Joshua was to take the folks to the promised land, right? He's supposed to lead them to the promised land. So let's go ahead and read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. (laughs) When I read that, I'm like, there won't won't nobody like Joshua, the son of Nun. He's just one of one. Okay. Moses, I know. Moses' assistant saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I will give you. As I said to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all of the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. So Joshua was instructed by God or commissioned by God to go and get the treasure. The treasure is the promised land. The treasure are things that we're trying to store in heaven. Joshua was put in place by God, blessed by Moses, approved by Moses, and promoted by God. Now, when I looked at God's commission, I was like, what does commission mean? Like I you see words sometimes, you don't really have a full scope of their understanding. So I want to do a little bit of digging. So I went to and got the definition for commission. And commission says, an authorization or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. That sounds pretty, pretty powerful, right? Authorization. God gave him authorization. He commanded him and gave him the charge to do it. Another definition said a formal written warrant granting the power to perform various acts or duties. So God gave Joshua the commission to go get the treasure. Now, something that came to me that we have to find out, are we hunting for something that's already promised? Put this note down. You don't have to hunt for what's already promised. You don't have to, like, look for it. It's laid out for you. It's already promised. It's already laid out. You don't have to second guess what God is doing because the word is living and it's speaking to each and every one of you. But if we don't follow the map, which we're going to get to in a second, if we don't follow that map, then you're going to be hunting for something that's right in front of our face. You don't have to hunt for God's treasure. We just got to go for it. We've been commissioned. We've been empowered. We've been separated and sanctified to go get the treasure. We, we're not, we don't have to do this. Man, Where where is that treasure? Uh, don't think it's right there. It's under, no, it's not there. He was under his monitor, eh? You don't have to second-guess and look for something that's right there that God has already commissioned us to go and obtain. That's good news for somebody. Amen, amen, amen. So the Word is our treasure map, if you guys have not figured that out yet. The Word is our treasure map, all right? In John chapter 14, 6, Jesus said, and this is probably the most, like, Gangster thing Jesus has ever said, in my opinion. He was just like, look, I'm going to tell you all exactly what it is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Man, that's bold. That's power. That's authorization. He was authorized to say those things because it's real. So if Jesus is the Word, then Jesus is our treasure map right? So we have to follow Christ in order to actually store up that treasure in heaven. I got five points for you. Take some notes real quick. The first thing that you want to do to find your treasure is to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's number one. If you're not accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, the other points won't matter that I'm going to go into. If you do not know how to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior— You say, Christ, Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for my sins and to rise again so we may have eternal life. I believe that he died for my sins and he rose again. And God, I just ask you to forgive me for the sins that I've committed. I repent and I will sin no more. And I receive Christ as my Savior. That's what you want to say. But say it in your own personality. God will honor that just matters if your heart is, is actually connected to it, right? The second thing, die to your flesh daily. Now, I ain't gonna lie. <clears throat> when I used to hear people say, you have to die daily, die daily, it sounded kind of churchy to me. I'm like, what does die daily mean? Like, I don't know. What's that? What, what do you do? How do you die daily? What does that look like? Like, I was looking for a practical way to, like, break it down and explain it to myself. And, and, I, and, I, and I think God... Uh, gave it to me. I think he gave it to me. So this is, this is how I look at dying daily, so what that means. The first thing we must do is denounce any desires that are not of God. Denounce any desires that are not of God. The next thing we have to do is disrupt anything that tries to come and pull us back to where we used to be or, 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 or trying to drag us back or drag us into something that's new, that is not pleasing to God. So we have to denounce. We have to disrupt. And lastly, to die to your flesh, you have to dislodge. Dislodge anything that will have you in sin. That means if you have to avoid talking to certain people, you got to dislodge them. If that means you have to avoid going to certain places, you got to dislodge it dislodge means to let go. It means to wedge apart. It means to forcefully get away. And that's something we have to do and take very serious. Okay, so denounce, disrupt, and dislodge. It's how you die to your flesh daily. Number three, study the word, don't just read it. Study the word, don't just read it. What I had to start doing is understanding the context of what was happening in the time when I was reading the Bible. Because when I wasn't doing that, it didn't mean as much to me. And I didn't really have a a, a gauge of what was actually happening or being experienced through those who were in the Bible and what God was actually trying to communicate to me. So study the word. Find out what happens before the scripture you read as well as after the scripture you read. So you can have full context. Do some history lessons on some of those folks that were that were in the Bible, some of those people some of the things that were happening around that time, what war was happening, what battle was happening, who was king, who was queen, all those things, it matters. So study the word, don't just read it, amen? Apply the word. Now, this is the one. I know a lot of folks that study and read. If you just study and read and don't apply, you are like a clanging cymbal to God. If you study the word and just read it, you are, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have a connection to, to what the Holy Spirit is actually doing. You don't really bear the fruit that you need to really make an impact and move God's kingdom forward. So we have to apply the word. We have to be doers of the word, not just hearers. We must be doers, okay? Number five, repeat two and four daily. That simple. Repeat two and four daily. Now, I know uh, the the graphic's probably a little different for you guys. I added something, and I wasn't able to get it added on the the screen, but hopefully you're able to catch it and find that. Okay, so what happens if we don't use the map that God laid out for us? What do you guys think happens? Anybody want to guess what happens if we don't use the map? We don't... Brother, Brother Minister Lamar said we don't get the treasure. Right. <laughs> what you say, Sister little Barbara? About the same. Don't get the treasure. Any other? You'll be lost. Woo. All y'all right. You will be lost. You won't get the treasure. And it just won't turn out good for you. And what's cool about God's word is that he describes what happens when you don't follow the map. When you don't follow the word. Let's turn to Isaiah Chapter 8, verse 20 through 22. Isaiah. Yeah, some people are like, hmm, they must know their word. They know what's going on. They know what's happening. They're like, hmm, that brother about to say that. Yes, I am. It says, look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. Didn't you say lost? They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. Mm. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. I don't know about y'all, but that's scary, man. That's frightening. And we all know someone like that or, or people like that or myself was like that, where it did, didn't really matter what was happening in my life. It was full of highs and lows, and I felt every bump of it because I was not rooted in Christ. I was not rooted in the very one that could give me peace, perfect peace, that surpasses all understanding. I was not rooted in the thing that, that, that could actually take me from point A to point Z, that would never leave nor forsake me. I was not rooted in God. So when we're not rooted in God, this is what happens. We become desolate, hungry. And you know those people that are like, oh, everything's good, bro. Everything's good. I'm, I'm Gucci. Everything's straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. Then the next week, oh, you know, the, the people on Facebook, they'd be like, they just put like the heartbreak. They don't explain like what's happening to them. But they want you to ask so they can kind of like, you know, complain what's happening. I'm not, I'm just saying like find someone to talk to, some godly counsel, some spiritual counsel. Or someone is like, you know, everything's great, everything's great. And the very next day, I hate the world, I hate everybody, everybody sucks. And the next week, mine, I was just tripping, everything's cool. It's because, you're, it's because you're lost, and there's it's no judgment here. Like I said, it's not too late for anyone to come into Christ. It's not too late for, to, to experience the things of God, the love of God. He's calling you, he wants you, he, he, he loves you. He loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. But don't, don't act like you can get it in on your own. You can't get it on your own. We need need the Lord. Amen? So let's talk about King Hezekiah. I know I'm talking about a few different people, but they were just on my mind as I was going through this message. King Hezekiah is someone we don't talk about enough, I don't believe. I think King Solomon probably gets mentioned a lot. King David definitely gets mentioned probably the most. But King Hezekiah did his thing. King Hezekiah was a great king. And he was able to defeat the Assyrian king uh, when they came causing trouble, right? Um, it got so bad that the Assyrian king sent his folks out, and they were talking crazy to, 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 to King Hezekiah's people, saying, ah, don't believe what Hezekiah is saying. Don't believe that this God is going to deliver you. Has God ever delivered these? Like, they were just talking out of the side of their neck. And I was like, Lord, as I'm reading this, I'm like, are y'all serious right now? And, and, and it actually happened. And King Hezekiah, he stayed rooted in God. He stayed rooted in what the God's promises said, God's instructions said. He stayed rooted in, in the treasure he was storing up in heaven. And he was a very wealthy king as well. And, and sure enough, God teamed up with Isaiah and obviously King Hezekiah and wiped out like a third of the, king, uh, the Assyrian king's people. And the Assyrian king went away shamed. I think his name was senech Sene- 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 Sharib. Sinning cherub, I can't say it right. Sinning cherub, Sinning cherub, One of those, something like that. All right. So wiped out all the people, right? Or, or a third of them. And so he went, held his head, and then started lying to people as well. I, re- I researched this. He was lying to people saying, that's not how I really went down. Nah, bro, you lost. God got you. Just take your L and, and lick your womb somewhere else. So it came, it came to happen that King Hezekiah was then stricken with a disease that, Isaiah came to him and said, hey, king, get your house in order. You ain't going to make it, right? That's some, that's some, some sobering news, right? Uh, with, with all the people that are, 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 are getting sick right now, and a lot of people are passing away right now, which kind of hits me a little different. But he, he, he came to him and was very honest and said, hey, get your house in order. You're not going to make it first thing King Hezekiah did was pray to God. He didn't complain. He didn't question. He didn't. He prayed to God to give him more years on this earth. And what did God do? He honored his request. He honored his prayers. Now I know that's not the situation for everyone, but when God moves and God wants to get something done and completed, He's going to do it. His word never comes back void, right? So there's going to be people that pray that don't make it, but that's in the will of God. It's not for us to understand. It's for God to know. Well, with King Hezekiah, he was able to get 15 more years. He was like, oh, man, I got 15 more years. For, oh, oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Well, what was disheartening about King Hezekiah, he didn't honor God when God healed him. I was like, bruh. You had all these victories. You amassed all this wealth, and God honored your prayer, and you didn't honor the one that treasured you. Blew my mind. It blew my mind. It really did. So in 2 Chronicles 32, 31, you ain't got to turn those, read it real quick. This is talking about King Hezekiah. It says, however, regarding the ambassadors of princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, the wonder being all the men that got killed, that uh, God's angel came and, and slayed them. God withdrew from him, talking about Hezekiah, in order to test him that he, might, that he may know all that was in his heart. There goes that test again, right? God tested him to see what was in his heart. When God withdrew from him, that wasn't God leaving him. It was God testing him to purify him, to see exactly how he would react. What would he do? Would he rely on me? I healed you. I healed your heart. I healed your disease. Are you going to honor me? Hezekiah missed his opportunity to honor God. Did God strike him down right then? No, he didn't. But he affected his generations. He, he affected his, his family to come after him. You are in position, myself included, to fulfill God's promises for those you will never meet. You are in position, commission, you are in place right now to positively impact and affect people you will never meet. but we must honor God where we are in order to bless those that are going to come after us. Hezekiah didn't do that. So he, he got all high and mighty. He's all in his, in his pride and stuff. After he got healed, he was like, Oh God healed me. I got these victories. This fool was showing. So the Babylonians came and Babylon was some, some bad dudes back then. Like they didn't play games. They didn't play around. He thought they were there to congratulate him on his victory. So he's showing them everything. He showed them all of his treasures. He's showing them his armory. He's showing them the the layout and the blueprint of the land, which obviously made it easily accessible for them when they were going to come and actually take over his kingdom. So what Isaiah told uh, Hezekiah, he said, hey, man, what you did wasn't the right thing. God's going to have to now impact your future generations. You know what Hezekiah said? This threw me as well. Hezekiah said, okay, okay, so I'm not going to see it. All right, no problem. Sounds good. He still didn't humble himself enough to pray to the same God that healed him that those things may not happen. Now, I don't know if God would have, it's all what if at this point. I don't know if God would have said, you know what, we're going to honor your your prayer now. You came right back with me. I'm going to honor that. We'll never know because Hezekiah did not humble himself to honor the one that treasured him. And what I was realizing, one, you know how they say one man's trash is another man's treasure? It's the same thing with anointing. One man's disobedience is another man's anointing. We see it all through the all through the word, with David and Saul, right? With Moses and Pharaoh, one man's disobedience is another man's anointing. So that brings us to 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 our message today. I don't think I've even given you guys the title yet. Um, You probably see it on a couple of screens or, or even on the lower third. But God is so awesome he took so many opportunities to show people how much he loved them by getting them across situations and through obstacles and through discourse and through damnation across the red sea to flee from slavery across the wilderness to purify the hearts of those who would be entering the promised land across the jordan to the promised land, across the hills of Calvary to prove God's word true by his son dying for our sins and then rising again so we could have eternal life. Cross marks the spot, not X. Cross marks the spot. Everything we need, everything that we have, everything that we desire, it starts and ends at the cross. Everything we want physically it starts at the cross. Everything we want spiritually, it starts at the cross. So everything that we see, that we touch, that rust, that goes away, is meaningless. If you don't start at the cross. One of Zip's favorite scriptures, when she says, uh, "You know, she's not here right now, but uh, <laughs> deny yourself and take up your cross." Oh, she's she's back there. I'm sorry. She went, but she's helping. Marcus, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. But how will you follow Christ if you don't know where that cross is? How will you pick up your cross if you don't know where the cross is? So I implore you guys. I encourage you guys. Even those who are like, you know what, Jamal, I'm saved. You ain't talking to me. You talking to these other guys, these people that don't know Jesus. I'm talking to you two, talking to myself. We can never grow weary in well-doing. We can never get so overconfident that we think we have it all figured out and that we already are, 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 are on our way or there. None of us have reached it. None of us will reach it. The only one good is God. The only one that's good beside Him is, is on the right, the right hand of Him. So we have to make sure that we understand that we need God every day. We need Christ every day. We need the Holy Spirit's direction And all knowing truth every single day. Don't take it for granted. Do not take it for granted. I'm going to leave you guys with a scripture. I'm going to get out of your way. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. This scripture kind of ties it all together. So it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of it? Say it again all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him in what in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths so father god i just thank you for just being who you are for loving us, for keeping us, for for giving your your unwavering mercy on us at all times. Father God, thank you for sending your son to die for our sins. Thank you for salvation in Christ so we may have eternal life with you. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to just guide us in all truth, to keep us, to cover us, and 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 to hold us, Father God. We just love you. We cannot do this without you. We understand, Father God, that it starts at the cross and it ends with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.